Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is Every Voice with Terrence McKnight on WQXR. It's a radio special that looks at the representations of Blackness in Mozart's opera, The Magic Flute. I'm Terrence McKnight. Growing up, I played two instruments, trumpet and piano. And eventually, both instruments led me towards the experience of classical music, going to the concert hall, that place where the big orchestra performed. For many of those years, classical music felt like a dead-end road for me. Only a few people close to my family ever talked about going to concerts or having any involvement with classical music. But that all changed when I went to college. Morehouse College in Atlanta, where it was acceptable and respectable and normal for Black men to be involved in classical music. I knew guys who could speak Bach, Handel, Luther Vandross, and Stevie Wonder all in the same sentence. And when I joined the College Glee Club, we performed with a local orchestra, we performed opera, we sang in German, Italian, French, Igbo, and in Yoruba. at Morehouse where I first performed music from an opera or heard people talking about singing in operas. For our 16-part podcast series and for this documentary, I went back to Morehouse to speak with some of my old professors about opera and how Black people are represented in the art form. When I got to campus, I walked into the music building and I went looking for David Morrow, the Glee Club director. It was a quiet day when we got to the music department. I was there with David Norville. He's one of the producers of the show. Almost immediately, we ran into Dr. David Morrow, who is the director of the Glee Club. How you doing, man? Good, how are you? What can I find, Dr. Morrow? Dr. Morrow. Oh, right in front of me, huh? Yes, sir. 
Yeah. Hey, Dr. Morrow. Hello. I'm Terrence McKnight. <laughs> Come on. How are you, sir? Things are well? Very well, sir. Y'all got rehearsal today? We do. Four o'clock. We're getting ready to go to St. Louis. We tomorrow um, going to St. Louis to sing for the Black Repertory Ensemble. They have their gala, and they've been featuring HBCU choir. I sang in this glee club when I was in school. Some of my closest friends sang in this glee club. Being around all these men who shared my cultural experiences was critical to me finding comfort and confidence in classical music. What was so important to our learning was knowing our history and the history of this glee club. This music was written for the Glee Club by Dr. Yuzi Brown. He's the chairman of the Division of Creative and Performing Arts at the college. I took theory from Yuzi Brown. I accompanied in his voice studio. And after I got out of graduate school, he brought me back here to teach. It was in his class that I first started paying attention to opera. You know, David, when I think about coming back here, the fact that Martin King, King sang in our Glee Club, Dr. Brown, connected to that family and to that church. You know, when I graduated, he told me, you know, now that you're graduating, remember that you're representing yourself, your family, Morehouse College, and your people. Yeah. So the work you do, just keep in mind that you're representation of all those things. It doesn't matter whether you like the idea of, of that level of representation. It's forced upon you. It becomes, by mere fact, that you have touched those things that make you associated or connected in that way is going to connect people to you and that institution and those experiences. So in this story, what I'm looking at is some of those examples of blackness. You know, when we look at operas, there are some roles that were written for Moors, you know, for Africans, mm -hmm. for Moors. Mm -hmm. You know, and one of the operas we wanted to talk about was in Mozart's opera, the magic flute. Yeah, yeah. Monastitos. Mm -hmm. And he's actually a Moor. Um, and oftentimes this figure shows up in costume and he's very dark skinned. And lately people have been having problems with white singers putting on makeup to become black. But I wanted to get underneath that the sort of the coloring and try to dissect what is it about this character? that requires him to have dark skin? Well, there are a number of, uh, of different things that I would say about, well, first of all, about that character and that particular opera, but about the world of opera in general. It is not unlike, quite frankly, uh, conditions of the day, of today. You know, you can find many movies that I, I think, you know, though we're getting major breaks in film, a lot of the movies will center around characters that are not very savory in terms of our community. And there is something about what that character looks like in terms of making him seem more evil and, and despised than not. 
So the circumstance of uh, the monocytosis is not necessarily unique in the sense of what white people knew about blacks and how they perceived representing them. And, and it is, you know, this is a, a vile buffoon-like character. But you have to remember that a lot of the Western European composers played into that kind of scenario, not just in terms of race, but in terms of things that had to do with not only the racial divide, but human imperfection. Monocytos. Monocytos. Most of the times, it's, it's a short figure. The voices, quite often, they don't care about the beauty of the instrument because that's not the kind of role it is. It's supposed to be a foul thing. An aria from Mozart's The Magic Flute. It's sung by Monostatos. He's the more, the black and enslaved man in the opera. He's the other in this opera. He's the laughing stock of the opera. Chauncey Packer used to sing the role of Monostatos. Chauncey is an African-American tenor from Southern Alabama. He says he doesn't sing that role anymore. He's set up in the opera to be the villain. At every turn, he's set up to be the villain. Um, it's um, so it's a, a racist archetype that, even in his aria, he says, "Shouldn't I have love like everyone else? Everyone else has love. Is it because black a black man is ugly?" And I always think the reason I I feel I don't want to do the role anymore is because in the opera it states it as a fact. As, and not just as a question, but he states that um, a black man is ugly. So he feels negative in his whole being. And that is the trope of his character, to be the villain and the darker side of, of the characters and the portrayal in this opera. So the first time I ever encountered Magic Flute was in Texas. And we had an opportunity that all the universities were all getting together to do one big show. And it was in English. And I didn't know anything about the opera at all. Mezzo-soprano Rayanne Bryce Davis. And so we had like a sing-through. I had gone and just like learned all my notes. So I was sitting there happily like, do, 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 do. And I remember hearing the character that was singing Monocytos, who was saying, and in English, because my skin is black and ugly, blah, 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 blah. I'm black, I'm ugly, blah, blah. And I was just like, <laughs> And as like the only black person in the room, I like looked around like, oh, is everybody equally appalled? <laughs> 
like everybody was just pleasantly smiling and looking down at their scores and like there's nothing wrong here and I was like what the freak is happening <laughs> we wear the mask that grins and lies it hides our cheeks and shades our eyes this debt we pay to human guile with torn and bleeding hearts we smile and mouth with myriad subtleties. Why should the world be overwise in counting all our tears and sighs? Nay, let them only see us while we wear the mask. We smile, but oh great Christ, our cries to thee from tortured souls arise. We sing, but oh the clay is vile beneath our feet and long the mile. But let the world think otherwise we wear the mask. The Magic Flute is a fairy tale opera. It's set in Egypt. It describes Pamina, a beautiful princess being held captive by a ruler named Sarastro, who actually has her best interest at heart. He's protecting her from her mother, the queen of the night. Monostatos is the black slave who works for Sarastro. He's the prison guard who becomes captivated, smitten by Pamina's beauty. Pamina's mother, the queen of the night, promises her daughter to Monostatos if he can help Pamina escape. But Pamina is afraid of Monostatos because he's black. Instead, she falls for a prince named Tamino who comes to her rescue. And in the end, these two find love and light.
Monostatos, on the other hand, is ridiculed, shamed, and beaten. But even worse, this man is self-loathing. Just like real life throughout the Western world, his skin and his cultural heritage were seen as not only inferior and derelict, but as ugly. In the libretto, Monostatos says that he's ugly, but he also pronounces white as beautiful. And being black is hurled at him as an insult and was justification for his physical punishment from his so-called superior Sarastro. This is base Kevin Maynard. Sarastro has to discipline Monostatos. So there is that immediate feeling of superiority that we get from Sarastro. And he's banishing Monostatos away and disciplining him. And he even calls him, was thought of as a negative term, he calls him black, you know, Schwarzer. This thinking was the social order of the day. These tropes about race that were fomented in Western art, literature, and thought, they were passed down to us. This is Dave. He's a young man on our production team. Some of the students that I went to school with, they actually gave me a nickname that probably some people from my old high school still still call me today. They'd call me KB, um, which stood for Kenya boy. And they called me that because they said my skin was, was very, very dark. And I think that's part of the reason why this story of Monastos really captivates me. Monostatos is described as a Moor. The Moors were the people from North Africa, predominantly Muslim. They were dark-skinned, and therefore, in Central Europe, they personified bad things. I think there are a lot of young Black men who, in isolation, are dealing with these feelings of loneliness and are acting out in certain ways. I've had several friends who have, have lost, you know, those battles with, with depression, with loneliness, who have taken their own lives. Um, loneliness will make us do a lot of crazy things. The characterization of Moors as a bad lot was false propaganda. In truth, the Moors brought and developed much of the culture that helped define Spanish culture in the centuries leading up to the Renaissance including the culture that became classical music. By the 16th century, those accomplishments had been whitewashed. They were mocked and became the foundation of American entertainment, which we called minstrelsy. It was that form of theater that became popular among white audiences in the 19th century and consisted of white actors putting on blackface and performing racist stereotypes for entertainment. These audiences demanded to see Black folks dancing, being loud, lazy, threatening, nervous, dishonest, and childish. 
And for more than a century, that was America's go-to form of entertainment, a direct descendant of some of the scenes that came out of opera. One of the biggest laughs in Magic Flute comes from the scene when Monostatos and his band of slaves hear music. They become so captivated by the sound of music, they forget the important task at hand. Instead, they get caught up and can't help but dance. Of course, the audience is tickled when this happens. Now, keep in mind, the role of Monostatos has traditionally been performed by white singers tasked with caricaturing black folks. I can only imagine the kind of things they did to get laughs. That was the gig. And one tenor who apparently nailed it was Charles Lyle, a British tenor. Here's a dramatic reading from the Daily Telegraph. A word of praise must again be given to Mr. Lyle, who invests the part of Monostatos with an importance due to genuine humor and finished acting. In the scene of the slaves' involuntary dance, Mr. Lyle excites laughter such as is rarely heard in an opera house. The Daily Telegraph, 1870, London. One of my first jobs out of college was I worked at Top of the Rock Observation Deck. It was a team of, it was a group of us, and we just, it was tourists coming in all day. We were on our feet for like eight, nine, ten hours, but we had a blast. Ian is another young man on our production team. And we just talked to people from all over the world. And oftentimes, you know, managers would, would come up to me like, hey, you know, Ian, you should really, you know, sing and entertain these people and... I was young, and I was like, oh, this is fun, and I did it, but if I'm looking back on it now, just being honest, it was just like, put on these tap shoes for our guests. He's not going to say no. He loves doing it. I'm looking at the libretto right now, the original text that Mozart used to write the opera. There's a scene early on where Monostatos captures Pamina and her love interest Tamino. They were trying to escape Sarastro's temple. Monostatos just doing his job and following orders. He proudly tells his master Sarastro, you see what a good job I've done, boss? Sarastro says, of course and then offers Monostatos a reward just for kicks, just to humor the audience and show off his authority and superiority. Sarastro rewards Monostatos with 77 lashes across his feet, then sends him off. That served as a reminder or tutorial for the place Black people held in white society. And of course, the large chorus was right behind Sarastro, there to say amen not quite like that. Hey, 
Long live Sarastro in his divine wisdom. He rewards and punishes at one turn when virtue and justice through the fame, the path of the great. The earth is in realm of heaven and mortals are like gods. You're listening to Every Voice with Terrence McKnight, a radio special from WQXR in New York. Many cultures, many voices, one people. Movies, music, celebrities making bad choices. Crooked Media's weekly podcast, Keep It, has it all. Each week, culture experts Ira Madison III and Louis Vertel unpack the latest controversies, praise character actress appreciation, and share all the gossip in a week. Expect bold and unique queer commentary, award show grievances, and iconic guests like Billy Porter, Michelle Yeoh, Ariana DeBose, and Cheryl Lee Ralph. New episodes of Keep It drop every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Every Voice with Terrence McNann on WQXR. It's a radio special that looks at representations of blackness in Mozart's opera, The Magic Flute. These antiquated ideas and propaganda that show up in art and literature from the past, they're a challenge for modern audiences and directors. In the case of Magic Flute, in recent decades, Monostatos isn't always represented as a person of African descent. Now, Mozart composed Magic Flute in 1791, and the Metropolitan Opera House in New York opened for business late next century. Well, since that time, there have been nearly 500 performances of Magic Flute at the Met. Maybe you'll find this interesting or at least curious. Not one Black singer, not one, has ever sung the role of Monostatos. But one singer who has sung the role at the Met and other places around the world is Filipino tenor Rodel Russell. Rodel says he understands Monostatos from his own personal experience as an outsider. And he presents Monostatos as someone looking for attention, looking for affection. Here is Rodel Russell in character as Monostatos. I want to be loved. I want to be acknowledged. I want to belong. I want to be looked at how people look at everyone else. I want to be part of something, part of a family, part of a couple, part of a group. And that's all I want.
I'm just a regular person, born a regular person, but born with not your traditional beauty or pleasant features. The society is used to looking at beauty in a very specific spectrum. I do not fall into that spectrum. I'm born with very unusual facial characteristics that people might find uh, gruesome, ugly, or people may be afraid of. They would react to me like I would hurt them or I would do anything bad to them. lust and selfishness that we see him living out with Pamina. I mean, he wants to seduce her, but he sings to himself, Pamina is not available to me because I'm a slave and a slave is ugly. I am attracted to her because she made me feel something that I have not felt before. This was the first time that I saw someone who I immediately admired because of her beauty. But because she has never seen anyone like me, her reaction towards me was the opposite. I just wanted a kiss, a kiss. That's all I wanted. I had no intention of really defiling her or violating her but I feel that asking nice uh, was not working what doesn't work so well these days is casting Monostatos as a person of African descent directors have look for other ways to update one of Mozart's most popular operas to make it more palatable for diverse audiences. In the eight or nine different productions I sang of the Magic Flute, not once was the Monostatos cast as a black man. Soprano Sylvia McNair. It was just not going to be done. It was not going to be accepted. And that's, that's good because that was not the case 50, 60, 70 years ago. Yeah, so that's why it's important for us as the people to come together, right? Talk about who we are, what we learn from I never talk about my skin color as being black. I never talked about her beauty as being white. I have played Monocetos colored green, blue, in a clown kind of uh, face. Something that shows them that it is ugly or not normal or weird. We have always substituted words appropriately. I think the only time that I have used the original was when I was still in college. 
and it wasn't even in school. It was a outside of college local theater. That's one of the reasons why the skin tone of black is never used because we do not want to associate ugly or bad or weird with the black skin tone, which I do agree with, totally agree with. I think it just sends a different message. But the only thing that I lose, and uh, we talk about this in books, we still have to find a way to teach people how people thought back then. So we know what the consequences are. When people cancel certain books that teach history, yes, it can be offensive. But sometimes there are moments where we need to know why things are offensive now. I was just having a conversation with a young tenor who was offered a monostatos and it was like his first performance at a professional company. Soprano ran Bryce Davis. And that's a huge opportunity for that kid, you know, and it's very hard for them to like say no to it because, you know, because of, uh, you know, how they feel about it emotionally. I just, I hope we get to a point that you can just say no and there are other opportunities if you don't feel, I don't know, and, and, and ideally having more conversations like these directors and and opera houses will make the changes that ideally make everybody feel comfortable. And equity is such that you're not so desperate financially that you're forced just to survive to take these roles, you know? And that fortunately, I'm not in a place that I have to do something that I feel uncomfortable doing. Um, but that's not the case for everyone. Like, it's not necessarily the case for that young tenor. He, you know, and so that's the conversation that we had.
These were stereotypes that those Central Europeans had. We have inherited them. It's our responsibility to move the story forward. And I think we should be casting operas. I would love to go see a magic flute that had a black pamina wearing natural African hair and a, an Asian zarastro and a white monastatos and a, you know, just so that the casting was diverse. Blind casting is, is, it's just, it's not, it's not possible. We, we, we need to, hmm, we need to bring this out into the light. Look at it. Talk about it which is what you're doing. This is Every Voice with Terrence McKnight on WQXR. It's a radio special that looks at the representations of Blackness in Mozart's opera, The Magic Flute. Given the negative racial stereotypes and the agenda of this 18th century opera, there are those who say, stop performing this, burn it down, cancel this. But I'm learning a lot through this process with my team and with artists like Rayanne Bryce Davis, Chauncey Packer, Sylvia McNair, Rodell Russell, UZ Brown Jr., Kevin Maynard. That there's a depth, complexity, and humanity that can be brought to this opera that could be an important teaching moment in modern society. Much more than Mozart and his libretto Schikaneder saw or were able to realize during their day. As modern music lovers, presenters, and audience members, what does it look like being our best selves in support of the arts? Seems like empathy, inclusivity, and that belief in our common humanity has a lot to do with it. Maybe Mozart was unable to put that on stage, but that's our North Star.
listening to Every Voice with Terrence McKnight, a radio special from WQXR in New York. Many cultures, many voices, one people. Every Voice with Terrence McKnight was written and produced by Terrence McKnight, David Norville, and Tony Phillips. Our research team includes Ariel Elizabeth Davis, Pranati Diwakar, Ian George, and Jazz Ogist. This episode's sound design and engineering was by Alan Gofinski. Our original music is composed by Brother Jeremy Thomas, featuring Dr. Ashley Jackson on harp and Brother Tito Sampa on percussion and vocals. Our project manager is Natalia Ramirez, and our executive producer is Tony Phillips. The executive producer for WQXR Podcast is Elizabeth Nanamaker, and Ed Yim is the chief content officer at WQXR. This project is supported in part by the National Endowment for the Arts. You can find more information on the web at arts.gov. Thanks to the Met Archives for invaluable research data. If you enjoyed this episode, please take time to rate it, rate us, review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I'm Terrence McKnight. I'll see you next time. You're listening to Every Voice with Terrence McKnight.